0: Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. That song, I don't have all the statistics, but I would say that it's probably the most famous Christian hymn of all time. I, I know for a fact, you can turn the lights on if you would so we can see faces. Uh, I think it's one of the most, uh, uh, I know it in, in the idea of uh, whenever I talk to someone about a hymn, that's one that no one seems to have a trouble with. They seem to be able to pull that one out. But a few of the things that I found interesting, they estimate that that song is performed publicly over 10 million times a year in our country. It's, it's been recorded on over 11,000 albums by artists from all different genres. It's, it's just a song that, that just rings true in so many ways. So we know the song, we, we know the words, but do we understand the message? Do we understand just how amazing grace really is? Today, when we come to the book of Titus, I think we come to one of the most powerful verses in all the scripture, and it just screams of this word. In fact, it's chapter 2. Verse number 11 in Titus, and I'd like you to say it with me if you would. Titus 2.11, let's say it together. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Right in the middle of this tremendous book, uh, Titus brings, is taught something by his, his mentor Paul, something powerful, brings out one of the most beautiful thoughts in all the Scripture uh, that surrounds this idea of grace, and we are going to talk about the healthy church, but I want us just to, to focus on what that idea of grace really is. Honestly, we don't have the, the time or, to, to just, or probably this, the intelligence to completely explain the idea of grace beyond our capabilities. But today I want us just to just kind of scratch the surface again and maybe remind us a little bit of what this grace is, and specifically as, as Titus has taught it here and what this means to us. So let's talk about this word grace First of all, just that first part, the grace of God. Now, by simple definition, let me give you a few ideas of how people define it. Uh, Robertson, who is a, uh, just a Greek scholar, says that the, the idea of grace has so many meanings, but it kind of comes down to some of these words. These would be some other ideas of grace. The word sweetness or charm or loveliness or joy or delight. Webster takes that and puts it in our English definition to mean this, the unmerited love and favor of God, which is the spring and source of all benefits men receive from him. Unmerited favor. Now, that's an interesting idea. This idea of it's unearned, it's unmerited. We, we kind of get, get that idea. But just to take it back, the ancient Greek culture, this word grace was obviously part of the Greek culture, and it had the idea of something that was that was given uh, completely unearned, completely um, just just out of the goodness of your heart, you're giving to someone without expecting any reward, anything back from it. That, that's that's where we get the idea: no strings attached, kind of a gift, something given to you. But it was also in the Greek culture; it was also something that was given only to friends. You never gave grace to an enemy. That was just against the culture. And that's what, in my opinion, just takes this whole grace thing and just turns it on its ear. We know it's unmerited favor. This is something God, the grace of God, is something we don't deserve, we can't earn, something coming from him, and something that that, that is just no-strings-attached gift, however— he actually gives it to his enemies. According to the Scriptures, all of us, because of our sins, stand as enemies to God, and yet he offers us this amazing unmerited favor. What a beautiful picture. The unmerited favor of God, and from that streams everything else that we have. Let me give you a couple other thoughts. Uh, Swindoll talks about this, that grace, when you look in the Old Testament, the, the word grace been around this word, and that means to bend or to stoop. It's the idea of condescending favor. Um, one uh, one theologian said it this way: love that goes upward is worship. Love that goes outward to other people—that's affection. But love that stoops, love that bends—that's grace. It's that picture, and I, and, and I cannot. And in fact, I saw it this morning as I came in. Uh, I saw it with my kids, and now I get to see it again with my granddaughters. It's beautiful. And I come in the room, and my, my youngest uh, granddaughter, Riley, just puts both arms up and comes running to me. Now, what am I going to do at that point? Get away from me, kid. You know, you're bothering me. Get out of here, right? Is that what? Oh, my goodness. As a father and as a granddad, the greatest thing in the world is to pick her up. But in order to do that, seeing I'm here and she's. Here, there's only one thing I can do. I have to bend. I have to stoop. She can't get to me, but I can bend to come to her. That's what grace is all about. We can never reach God, but we come with our arms open, and he, by grace, bends into where we are, bends to us. Stoop. That's the idea of grace, the grace of God. One last phrase that I saw about grace that I thought was crazy. Grace is everything For nothing to those who don't deserve anything. That's grace. The grace of God. It's everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. The grace of God. That's what I want us to talk about today, but I want us to keep going in this verse because it doesn't stop there. It says, the grace of God has appeared. Now, I want you to think about that word appeared because we get our English word epiphany from this word appeared. Have you ever had somebody say they're coming along and, and suddenly they go, oh, I just had an epiphany. It means something, something made sense to them. It's the, it, by it, it, that word here, we're going to see it twice in the verses we're going to read here in just a moment. It, the idea means it means to show, to bring to light, to, uh, to become visible, to become clearly known. I like to refer to this as an aha moment. You know, you've ever seen those cartoons where the light bulb comes on, right? Okay, that's an epiphany. It's something that maybe you knew or maybe you didn't, and suddenly it's like, aha, that makes sense, an epiphany, something that appears. Now, what we know is God's grace, that is something that's been from the Old Testament. It's from, been from the very beginning. So God's grace has always been there, but he's saying now it's going to be made crystal clear. It's, been, it's, it's appeared. But here's what we got to understand. How does that happen? Often when we think of grace, we think of it in the sense of it's something that that God gives us. But here's what I want you to grab. This verse kind of points it out to us, that truly, in its true essence, grace is not a thing. Grace is a someone, Grace is a person. Grace is someone that God provides for us. And in fact, most theologians would say that when he says the grace of God in this verse, it's synonymous with the idea of the Son of God. It's the grace of God and the Son of God you could use in the same sentence. That should be an aha moment right there. Just the idea that when you think of grace, you're thinking of Jesus, When you're thinking of of grace, God is saying that my grace has appeared to you. It's been made clear to you. Well, how did you do that, God? I sent you my son. That is the picture, that is the the ultimate appearance, the manifestation of God's grace is in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Listen to how John introduced Jesus. John chapter number 1, verse number 14, the word became flesh. That's Jesus. He came into our world. He made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only Son who came from the Father. But Notice the last phrase. Full of what? Grace and truth. When you see Jesus, you see the grace of God that has appeared. When you read about Jesus, what you're reading about is God's grace being put into to human form. And what's so intriguing, Jesus, in the writings we have, never used the word grace. In his teaching, he never used the word grace, and yet he became the living example of grace. If you remember the story, John chapter number eight, uh, one of the greatest examples I think of it was a woman who was caught in adultery, right? And and they and she would deserve to be to be killed for her sin according to the law. They brought her, they threw her at Jesus' feet, and they said, Now you take it, you know what should be. Do this, condemn her. She should die. And through that whole story, what Jesus' famous words were, okay. Whichever one of you here is without sin, you you throw the first stone, right? Well, stones dropped all around, they walked away, and he said, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. That's grace. That's someone that stooped down to someone who deserved condemnation and offered something alternative, and that was grace. That was his forgiveness. That was what, that's, that's the idea of grace. So when you see grace, you're seeing Jesus. Look how Paul put it to his friend Timothy. First, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, he said this, The grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but here's our word, but now it has been revealed. The epiphany has happened through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We can't use the word grace without thinking of Jesus. Jesus is the picture. Jesus is the appearance. Jesus is grace come into human form, given to us, and it was shown the biggest example of grace is that he died for our sins, was buried, and rose again so that we could have eternal life. That's God stooping, not only just stooping into where we are, but actually giving us a chance to come to him. That's grace. The grace of God is the person of Jesus Christ. So let's go back to our opening verse again. Verse number 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. We, we want to talk about that word, that, that idea. But remember, we're talking about Paul is teaching Titus this in the response of how to, have a, to, to bring health to his church, to bring health to the people. We're talking about a... A church that needs to grow and needs to to, to continue to take steps. And there are things they're doing right. There are things that need to be challenged. We're talking about a healthy church. And here's my challenge for you today. that the, The pathway to wellness for a healthy church is God's grace. In order for us to know what it truly is to be healthy... We're going to have to understand how grace fits into all that, that the grace of God is the key to us having wellness, ongoing health. Now, see, it's one thing to know you need to be healthy. It's one thing to identify, well, that's healthy, and that's not healthy, and that would help me. It's a one thing to know all that and maybe even get it started. It's another thing to actually establish a lifestyle of health, a lifestyle of wellness, and the, some of you know that in your life. It's one thing to go through a phase where you're, you know, you throw out all the meat, you eat only veggies, or you, you don't eat any carbs anymore. And you, you, you understand there's a time and period, but it's another thing to completely change the way that you do life to, for wellness sake, right? And that's what we're talking about. And grace is what makes that happen. Gary Goatley reminded me last night, we were talking, and he, he had a friend that when he taught him, whenever someone come to you, especially in church, and they say, hey, how are you doing? Instead of saying, I'm fine, what do you say, Gary? I'm learning and growing, learning and growing. What a great response. How are you doing? I'm learning and growing. Because that's it. You see, we're in this life in the, in the, the church. We're, we're healthy, but we, we're, we're not there yet, so we're, we're learning and growing. We're establishing a lifestyle of health. And the way that we get there is because the grace of God has appeared. And that grace is what makes all of this possible. Let, let me read a, a couple of verses we're going to go. Let's go to verse number 12. We, we've read verse 11. Read verse 12 through, uh, with me, and he says this. This grace, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good and then he summarizes this whole chapter what he we've been looking the last couple of weeks with these last words look at verse number fifteen he says these then are the things you should." Teach. These are the things that, that, that you should you should know and you should teach. And, he, and then he goes on to say, and, and rebuke, encourage, rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. He said, Titus, don't let anybody get in your face. Don't let anybody intimidate you. These are what's important. The way that you live a life that is that, that shows Jesus, this is critical, Titus. Don't let anyone change what needs to be said. And so as a church, a healthy church, this is what we need to know. No, let no one take away from the fact that this is how God has shown us. In fact, if you go back to chapter 2, verse 1, remember how he started this chapter. He said, you, however, Titus, must teach what is appropriate for sound doctrine. In other words, he's saying, see that the truth matches the way you live. Teach your people to practice what they preach, to practice what you preach, to practice what truth says, to, put in it, to make sure that, that what you're learning is also what's being lived out in life, that it's, it's something that's truly changing you, And then, verse number 10, he has a special motivation for this. He says this, So that in every way, they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. You see, he says, teach what's appropriate, practice what you preach, so that those around you will will literally, it means to adorn God, they will actually see the benefit, the attractiveness of who God is and what he has done. Church, that's where I want us to go to today. We're talking about the health of a church. Why is it so important— why is it so important that we live this life, we practice what we preach, that we do what the Bible says? Why is it so important that God's name is made attractive? Well, let me give you a couple answers to that. You may know, but let me give you this one. Number one is this, because the message of grace is that incredible. If we, if we understand how, what grace does, not only what it did for us, what it'll do for others, but yet we allow our lives to be lived as if it really doesn't matter, we have done such a disservice to what grace truly is and what it has done. I want you to think with me how incredible this idea of grace is and the incredible opportunity not only we have as as believers, but what others who don't know Christ, the the importance of what grace is. Read this verse again. Verse number 11, the grace of God has appeared, and notice this last phrase, that offers salvation to all people. Now let's stop there and think about, just, just kind of mull that over in your head for a minute. The grace of God, the stooping love of God who, who comes into the sin, has appeared and he offers salvation through that grace to all people. Think about that. He's saying that all people can be saved. He's saying that no matter who you are, and in the context remember if you remember we were here last week, it, whether you're man or woman, whether you're old or young, whether you're slave or free, we'd even further the context from chapter one, and he would say, whether you're a Jew or Gentile, he's saying, "It doesn't matter who you are, all people, all people, are given this incredible offer of salvation. I, I think we can also add from what we're learning is it's not only who you are, no matter what you've done. God offers to all people this gift of grace, We stoops into your world and offers this amazing, to all people, who you are, no matter who you are, no matter what you, you can't outsin God's grace. Please remember that. You can't outsin what God's grace can do and what how he can come in and change the situation. That is how cre- he offers salvation to all people. Now, let me, as he further expands this, go back to something, verse number 10, the end of the verse, it says this, the teaching of, about God our Savior. That's what to make attractive. Okay? That's the but notice those last three words. About God our Savior. If you go down to verse number 13, look at what he says. And this is our great God and Savior. And then what does he do? He introduces him. He is Jesus Christ. There's so much in this this truth. One is he's saying that Jesus is God. He's making that very clear. The God, our Savior, is also Jesus. It's it's one and the same. But what he's also telling us is that that the Savior is Jesus Christ, that he gave his life, and his grace reaches all of us. It's available for all people. People, how incredible is that? Is the, is the understanding? Is the news that God says that He that this grace is available that God are our Savior? But verse number fourteen, He expands it just a little bit further, and He says, "This Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness." That word "redeem" that's a definition of what salvation is. He brings salvation for all people, and the way that He does that is He He redeems us. We we are lost in this in this uh, slavery in this bondage of sin, and he redeems us in in two ways. These people would have understood what he said, even just from where they lived in Greek. The slave culture was all around them, and there was this policy that, and many of the, 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 the historians tell us that at least a third of the Roman Empire were slaves. A third of all of those people were considered slaves because of all the conquests and the wars. They'd come back. So there was a large population of slaves in this kingdom. So they would understand that if you had a loved one, you had a friend, and you wanted them no longer to be slaves, you could pay the purchase price for that slave. Once you pay the price, they become yours, and then you can set them free. You have redeemed them. That's the simple term, right? You have been redeemed out of bondage. The Israelites, specifically, that were in bondage then, it's many of them, and Paul would have talked to, they also understood this picture from the Old Testament, when God, his children of Israel, had been slavery in Egypt for 400 years, and God, through his great power, no money changed hand at this point, but through his power, he, he delivered them from Egypt. He redeemed them, is the word that was used. He pulled them out with his power and said, you're no longer slaves, I'm going to set you free. That's the idea of redemption. And do you understand? That's what God is saying. God's grace can do and will do in our lives. And in many of our lives, that's what he's done. We are walking in sin. We are enslaved by sin. We are under sin's penalty, under sin's punishment, and we have nothing we can do about that until God stoops in his grace and through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we receive a salvation that redeems us. And if you've been redeemed... You've been set free. You are no longer in bondage to sin. You're no longer enslaved by the, by the ultimate destination of sin. You've been delivered. You've been redeemed. I, this week I've had songs running through my head, so you'll have to forgive me if, if, if this, but there was another song, and many of you know it's a kind of a modern uh, version. It's called Redeemed, and, and the song simply says this, I am redeemed. You set me free. So I'll shake off these heavy chains, wipe away every stain. Now, I'm not who I used to be because I'm redeemed. Thank you for that amen. Can anybody else say amen to that? I I couldn't. I, I, I had to stop a couple times in this sermon. When I think about what it means, the amazing grace of God has stooped and bought me out of bondage. I'm redeemed. That's the grace of God, and that grace of God is for anyone and everyone who follows Jesus Christ. It is an offer of salvation for all who, who, all who Jesus Christ, as it says, all that His grace has fallen upon. What an incredible, incredible! But, but I also want you to know something that as we talk about this grace that has appeared, if you've accepted Christ, I hope you you're in just remembering what it means to be redeemed. But this passage is also showing us that not only is it a grace that saves us out of our sin, but we also need grace as God's people to be able to be what God has called us to be. You don't have the, you don't have the ability to save yourself and to, and to redeem your—you can't redeem your own, your own soul. Only God can do that. But understand, as even a follower of Christ, you, in and of your own power, can't even live the life that you need to live in this, in this world without without God's assistance. And that's the word grace. Grace is not only what saves us, it's what enables us to be what God has called us to be. It's what makes it possible for us to live the life that God has called us to live. And that's what this next verse tells us. If you go on to the next verse in Titus chapter number 2, he tells us that this grace of God... It starts this way. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. So that first word, it teaches. That word teaches, this is what grace does. Understand, it saves you. It brings you out of bondage. It sets you in God's family. But once you're in God's family, then it teaches you. It trains. The word is literally translated, it could be trains. It could be disciplines. It's not just the idea of, of giving you instruction. It's the idea of something that that trains you, that gives you a, a, way, a different way of living, a, a discipline of, of how to walk. That's what grace does. It teaches. It trains us. And, and I love what it says. The first thing is negative. It teaches you to say no. It teaches you, your version may say, to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, to renounce it. To have the ability to, to this, this stuff that held you in bondage, to be able to have an, an ability to say, no, God, God's grace gives you that ability. It gives you that word. Some of you remember the late 1980s. Our president, uh, president's wife, Nancy Reagan, came up with this, or, or made it famous, this phrase. In fact, the story goes that a, a, a young schoolgirl asked her, what should I say when people want to offer me drugs? What was her answer? Just say no, right? Okay, now there's been a lot of discussion over the last few years. It's not near as popular. People say, well, that's too simple. You can't just say no. You've got to have a reason. Here's the, here's the thing that I read, and I thought it was so very interesting. People, kids specifically are, can't be taught just to say the word no. They have to be taught how to say the word no. Why to say the word no? And I understand all that. And that's what this word means. God doesn't, just doesn't say say no. He says, I'm going to train you. I'm going to give you the instruction. I'm going to help you. My grace is going to help you to be able to say no to those things you need to say no to. The ungodliness that's around us, the, the desires, the, the habits, the, the things that hold us. God says, my grace can help to set you free, not only eternally, but even in this life. My grace will teach you how to say no. It's going to teach you how to to renounce, to reject the things that that hold you back. But it doesn't stop there. And he goes on to say it not only teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly lusts, and it also teaches us to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It teaches you to say no, and it teaches you how to live. That's grace. Are you understanding grace is more than just a nice word of, for love? It is a word that not only saves you from your sin, redeems you from bondage, and then as a follower of Christ, teaches you how to, how to actually navigate this life, to say no to things you need to say no to, and how to live self-controlled, how to live with, with uh, the, this idea of how to live upright, how to live godly, how to do what grace is what makes that happen. God's grace in the form of Jesus, who gives you not only the 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 uh, uh, the understanding, but also the ability to do what He has called you to do. And, and notice this next verse, as it describes it, verse fourteen. Go back. I'm sorry, who gave Himself for us to redeem us? That's Jesus, and to purify for Himself a peculiar people. I, I like. I just used that. I love that. That's a that's a translation. That says peculiar people, and I threw it in because yeah, we are kind of peculiar. It kind of describes us some days, doesn't it? If you don't believe me, look at that person right next to you, and you'll, I, it's, it's case in point, right? Peculiar, you're unique, right? It's the idea, but, but it, that, that word, it's not quite what that means. It actually means the next phrase. Peculiar people, that means people that are his very own. They are uniquely God's. God's grace has redeemed us, and now as he's teaching us to say no and how to live, it actually purifies us as his own people. It sets us apart. It makes it possible for people to know you're a follower of God. It sets us apart as not not peculiar, although some would say that. It sets us apart as this is God's people. And look at the last phrase, eager to do what is good. That means you're not doing good because mom's going to smack you if you don't. Although she probably will, but that's not the full motivation. You're not doing good because you have to, or you're checking off your list. You're doing good because you're eager, because God's grace is changing you from the inside out. God's grace saves us. It's appeared to all people, and it teaches us to to deny, to say no, but also to live. Adrian Rogers, uh, the late pastor phenomenal speaker said this by his definition or by one of his favorite definitions of grace it's this it's both the desire and the ability to do the will of God that's grace it gives you not only saves you it gives you the desire to follow God and then gives you actually the ability to do what your desire says that's grace folks it's this idea of God stooping into our world giving us exactly what we need in ways that we do not deserve So understand, for someone to say, well, I'm too bad to be saved, they don't understand God's grace. They they just don't understand how big, how amazing God's grace really is. But Christians, for any one of us to say, I just can't live this life the way God wants me to, you too do not understand grace. Because God says, my grace that saved you is a grace that if you will allow it, it will teach you it will enable you to live a life eager to do that which is good. So so let's review. We have a saving grace. It's a grace that has appeared to all people. It's it's a it's an offer for all. It's God's grace come in the form of Jesus. It saves us from our sins and it enables us to live the life that God has called us to live. That's that's why it's so important that we live a life that that shows the world, that makes God's word attractive, because this message is too special to be seen in anything else than just the most incredible message of all. But let me give you one other thought. It's so important that we share this message in attractive form, because the need for grace is universal. Now, we've talked about it. Maybe you'll, you you get that. You say, oh, yeah, I knew that. But look at what he's telling us here. For God has called us to spread this good news, and the world all needs to hear it and all these things. But why? Why is that so critical? Well, let's, let's see. Romans gives us a great example. We, we use that word all. He said it's appeared to all. Well, look what, what Paul said in Romans. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That puts us, and so he goes on to say, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption, there's our word again, that came by Christ. Jesus. Some people, honestly, as you talk to them, they struggle with how they can be forgiven and redeemed. They, they just, they, sin is such a weight on them, they don't understand how their sin could be forgiven. There are honestly people that, that, will, that refuse to come to God because they just don't believe it's possible that this grace is real. There are some that believe that. But on the other hand, there are many who don't really understand why they need this so badly they get into this comparison thing. And that's what our world does. It compares, I compare my life to someone else's life. And at some days, that means that I'm, I'm a lot better off than him, right? I'm, I'm not down that road like he is. And then there are some days when we think, oh, I could never live up to how he lives up. I could never be good enough. Like, if, if I have to be that, I could never be. And God never made it that way. That's, that's the world. That's religion. Here's what God says. All of you have sinned. All of us have come short of God's glory. All of you at some point have, have walked away, have defiled the, the, the truth of God, but all of us can be justified freely by the redemption that comes to Jesus Christ. It's an all-opportunity, uh, an all-offer. It's the idea that all of us need it, and all of us can re- receive it from, from what God said. But, but that brings us to the question that, you know, sometimes even in, in our Christian life, we get really frustrated because I, I know that this grace is available and I should be living differently and, and, and I, I I man I hate the things that I do and I fall off of the, the truck in this direction. And I'm reminded of Paul. In a moment of transparency in Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about how that there are days that he just does the things that he knows he shouldn't do and he doesn't get done the things that he knows he should get done. And he talks about this struggle and he actually at the end of the chapter said this, "And who will rescue me? And his answer is, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. See, Christians, we have the same, we have the same responsibility, the same opportunity to receive grace we say that saved us, but now we need this, this grace to help us, this grace to to give us strength when we're weak, to give us help whenever we're tempted, to get us through whatever to, to teach us, to enable us. We need this grace. That's why Paul said, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he, the, the the word of the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you. He said that my power is made perfect in weakness. You can have perfect in weakness. How? Through his grace. It's sufficient. It's all that we need, Christians. It's what will help us do what what God has called us to do. The obvious point is every one of us need God's grace. Whatever side of faith that you're on, if you've not yet accepted Christ as Savior, you're lost in your sins and you need God's grace. Every one of us. But if you've accepted Christ as save you you need God's grace to be able just to motivate, to, to walk through this life. You need his grace. But the question is, so how does that happen? Where, where do we, how do we appropriate this kind of grace? Let me give you a couple of thoughts. One of the first things that you're going to notice in the scripture is grace comes to those who are humble, those who recognize that they need it. Those that understand that this is something that, that, that is what I need. Here's what James 4, chapter 6 says. But he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the who? To the humble. Uh, uh, Augustine said it this way, and I, I, it just made so much sense. God gives grace where he finds empty hands. When we come to God and we realize that I have nothing to offer, I can't do this on my own, I can't get to heaven, I can't live, the, I come humbly before you, God, and I recognize, first of all, that I need this. And, and that's, that's a word that's going to bother us, because another word for grace is sometimes used in the English is the word charity. And think about it, folks. That's a word that a lot of us don't like to use in response. I, you, I don't need your charity. When someone tries to give us something and our first response is, no, come on, I I don't need that. I can take care of myself. Charity is sometimes a bad word for us. People don't like it. it Nothing can be free. There's got to be strings attached. I don't need your charity. Whatever it is you think of charity. So sometimes people struggle with grace, whether you're saved or not, because you want to say you can do it yourself. You want to believe I can handle it on my own. And understand that if you need grace, which you do, the first thing you've got to recognize is I need this. God, I can't do this. God, I'm not going to be able to live tomorrow the way I need to live without your grace. I'm not going to be able to go to heaven, God, unless I have your grace. I'm not going to be able to to make decisions. I'm not going to be able to make it in this, this struggle without your grace. And sometimes we're trying so hard to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps that we miss God's grace because we simply won't humble ourselves and say, God, I need you. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you today. That's an expression of, I need grace. I can't do this. I need your grace. Please come to God with this heart of humility. God, I, we want to say, God, I got this. And he wants to say, you got to say, God, I don't got this. I need your help. I need your strength. Another thing that you'll find in the scriptures, that grace came to those who asked for it. It's one thing to recognize a need and say, yeah, I need help. Boy, it's another thing to ask for it, isn't it? How many of you, if someone offered you help, you'd take it? But there ain't no way in the world you're ever going to ask for it. You just got too much ego, too much of this to say, I, you know, I, I can make this, and if, and if they don't see it, I'm never going to ask. There was a, for, for example, Jesus gave a parable of two men that came into the temple One was very religious, one was considered a sinner. The religious man gave God his pedigree and said, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like all these other rotten people. The other man, and Jesus quoted him saying this, he looked up to God, beat on his chest, looked to God and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, that's asking for grace because it's recognizing who you are and what you don't have, but it's actually saying, and so God, I'm throwing myself on literally the mercy of the court. I'm saying, God, I need this. Please, I need your grace. And when we come to this same, this same lot in life, if you accepted God's grace for salvation, fantastic. And, but if not, here's what God tells through Paul, Romans chapter nine, that we have to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in our heart that God is raised from the dead. There's that idea of recognizing your need and then calling out to the one who can do anything about it. God, I need your grace. But followers of Christ... I just want to encourage you today. You can't do this on your own. But you can do this. You can do this through the grace that God has. But can I just remind you that not only do you have to recognize I'm weak, one of the best things to do is just to say, God, I need your help. Listen to how he says how powerful this is. Hebrews chapter number 4, verse number 16. Christians, here it is. Let us then approach God's throne Of what? Grace. Wow, I love that. It wasn't a throne of judgment, throne of condemnation. It's a throne of grace. God is on his throne. He is, but for us of his followers, it's a throne of grace. It's a throne of God willing to hear us. And he says, we can approach it with confidence. And so why? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Christians, I don't know what you've been through this week. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing, but there is a God, the same God who saved you. His grace bent down and gave you eternal life is the same God who wants to strengthen you and help you. His throne of grace is open for business, and he's asking you to come boldly, come with confidence, asking for the grace that you need to get through this life. There's one thing, though, as we wrap this up today. I I want to grab this. Verse number 13 it's a, it's a beautiful verse, and it, it's kind of sandwiched in between these two ideas of grace. Kind of like a, a lot of meat between two slices of bread, or maybe it's the frosting between two chocolate cookies and an Oreo. I, I'm not sure how you want to look at it, but it's a beautiful verse, but it helps us understand even more how this whole idea of what God is doing helps us to be what he's called us to be, to be healthy, to be what... And, and listen to this verse. Why He says, you, you, he's teaching us to say no, he's training us to do what's right, while we wait for the blessed hope, the, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's that second, that second time the word appearing is used. You see, the first time the word appearing was used was when Jesus came into this earth. When Jesus appeared and he came in the form of a baby, he grew up and he lived and he taught and he healed and then ultimately he died for our sins and rose again. That was the first time he appeared. That's when grace appeared in bodily form. But now this verse is talking about something that hasn't happened yet. It's talking about the fact that Jesus did come and he appeared and he made grace known. But Jesus is coming again. He told his disciples right before he left, he said, if I leave you, I will come back and get you. I will come back. So Jesus said, I am coming. And so what Paul is saying is in the middle of this, this grace that we know that we receive from God, he said, but we do all of this, he's teaching us, while we are waiting For the blessed hope. This blessed hope, the first time it was when the grace of God has appeared. Now the glory of God will appear in the form of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming again. Folks, if if through this passage, if there's not something that has not excited you as a Christian, then you haven't been listening. We have grace that has saved us. We have grace that that helps us. And one day we're going to see Jesus face to face because he's coming again. Holy cow, this is amazing, folks. This is an incredible passage. Look what he says. We're waiting for a blessed hope. Now, that word hope, it's not like, you know, wishful thinking. It's not like hoping that these cookies and ice cream are going to be on my diet. That's not what that hope means, right? It's not a wishful thinking. It's a confident expectation. It's knowing that just as I know that Jesus came the first time, I know that he is coming again. And when he comes and his glory, everything that, that we know is when he appears again, when he comes to light again, when that epiphany shines again, and that's Jesus coming back to, to receive us, to get us, he says the glory of God, the great God and Savior Jesus Christ appears, everything changes. But do you understand how this helps us in this idea of, of health? We need God's grace to, to live while we're waiting. We need God's grace to, to learn how to say no to live the life we need to live. We need God's grace while we're waiting. But while we're waiting, we can always look with anticipation and knowing that this isn't all there is. There is an ultimate story an ultimate end to the story, and that is Jesus comes in His glory. That we do uh, everything changes, we do receive that perfection that He promises. We're going to everything changes. The not only does we, we see heaven that's fantastic, but we see Jesus, He changes us. We get to see Him, and all that we know, all that is around us, changes because the appearing comes. The grace is what keeps us living, but we're waiting for His glory when we see him face to face, and that keeps us motivated. That knows that no matter what I'm facing today, I can do this because I'm still looking forward to one day I'm going to see Jesus. This is all going to be worth it no matter what I'm going through because ultimately Jesus comes. Jesus is, he, he's the end of the story. He's the one that appeared to give us life. He's the one that ends. That's why it, Philippians 1.6, Paul put it this way. And I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Jesus started a work in you. You received his grace for salvation. He's teaching you one step at a time. He's changing you. And that's going to continue until finally one day you see Jesus face to face. That's the amazing truth. How do I stay healthy in this? Well, I can only, God has given me abilities, but, but I need his grace. And his grace teaches me, it trains me, and ultimately it helps me recognize that Jesus is coming and all of this makes sense. All of this comes to play. Let me wrap it up with this sentence today. The sentence would say something like this. God's grace saves us and then trains us while we wait for him to complete us. The truth of God's grace is this. It's what we need. It's the stooping grace that we could never deserve, and that saves us. And then, as it saves us, it then trains us. And ultimately, we know that Jesus will complete us, that all of this will come to a a glorious, magnificent ending when we see Jesus face to face. You're going to start recognizing the song again as Steph begins to play it. But let me just tell you just briefly. In the late 1700s, there was a guy by the name of John Newton. And John Newton was notorious for his, his escapades of wild living. In fact, um, he, he, was, he was thrown off of some of the roughest trading boats because he was just beyond incorrigible. He would go from Cargo boat to cargo boat, he eventually became a captain of slave boats, and he would bring slaves to the Americas. That was his life. And it was just that was until one day in the middle of a storm, things that his mom had taught him as a boy came to mind, and he remembered that God sent his son to die for him, and he received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And it was that man, John Newton, whose life had been completely off the charts. In in sin, and God began to change him ever ever so step by step throughout his life, until one day he came to the point where he wrote these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And when he said wretch, he wasn't exaggerating. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace. Have you received it today? Have you received the grace that saves you from your sin? A grace that is the only way that you can know the Father. Are you living as one of his children, walking daily in his grace, humbling yourself, receiving his grace, coming off? Today, as we end, let's sing that song together, just that first verse. And then we're going to take some time, we're going to just pray. and And I hope that as we do, that you, you understand and you accept whatever that grace is today that God knows that you need. As we enter prayer, sing with me. Amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I But now i found, was blind, but now I see. Father, thank you for teaching us today. But Lord, I know that in this room, we're all in need of grace. Lord, if there's one in this audience today who's not yet received the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, Would you make it very clear to them that they need your grace, but that your grace is is available if they've received the gift of your son. And Father, for all of us as followers of Christ, I don't know, there may be some that are just struggling through things that they don't know how they're ever gonna get through it. God, your grace is sufficient. I pray that they would come to your throne of grace today and find the strength they need. There are some who are struggling with how to live this life and they've just been trying so hard on their own and the first step needs to be they come to you and say, God, I can't do this without you. I need your help. I pray, God, that we as your people would just fall on the mercy of your grace today. Find what we need in Jesus Christ. Our heads are bad and eyes are closed. God has spoken to you. I invite you to, to respond to his grace. Maybe that means to, to call out to him and say, I need a salvation. I need, to, I need to know my sins are forgiven. Maybe it's as a follower of Christ, just to coming to his throne, say, God, I need your grace today, this week. Has God spoken to you? I invite you even to come and pray. If there are those who would love to pray with you, if you do, but let's just take some time in prayer. And Stefan's going to sing that song again. And as the music continues, God has spoken to you. I invite you to come to recognize God's grace. Amazing grace ah.